The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. did. Thank you for doing that. We'll be bringing those results at the next business meeting coming up on, uh, I believe, October 15th it is, uh, the third Saturday or third Sunday in October. Thank you so much. And also, on a personal note, thank you all. Many of you have asked how Simeon, our son, is doing. Uh, he's doing well, as best as can be expected. Uh, he had a scan on his brain on, uh, I guess it was Thursday. He got to party till midnight on Wednesday night. We were we had a lot of fun at, at, at Rebel Rousing around Liberty, our, home, our town. Uh, but they've got him on some medicine to help fight his seizures. So thank you for your prayers, uh, and thank you for prayers for our family, especially my wife who has to put up with us all. So she's the, the backbone of all this, as we know. So thank you so much. Well, Mark chapter 3 as we as we begin. And uh, uh, we're going to do a trifecta today. That's a modern word, a triumvirate, if you're a, a Roman scholar. Uh, we're going to look at three disciples today. That's not three sermons. That's one sermon with three guys, Okay. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But as we've gone through this, I just want to remind you that as we look, that we live in a day and an age where you have to stand out. Your resume has to stand out. Your stats have to stand out. If you're a senior in high school, yeah, your, your, your everything has to stand out because you have to be the top of the top of the top of the top. And we've gotten away from the fact that it's okay just to be ordinary, whatever ordinary is. Because we have to be radical, epic, revolutionary, transformative, impactful, life-changing. It sounds like an infomercial. Ultimate, extreme, awesome, emergent, alternative, innovative, on the edge, the next big thing. And through all that, you'll have your explosive breakthrough. You can probably add to this list of modifiers that have become ironically part of ordinary conversations throughout our land and society. And most of us have heard expressions like this so much that they've just become background noise. I remember, has it been this long? Five years ago in our youth group where we came from, that the word epic was big. Everything was epic. Darren, I drank an epic glass of water. Oh, wow. That must have been Kansas City, Missouri River water. That is epic. And, uh, you know, we were eager to take things to a whole new level. And ordinary has to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary today because who wants, as I've shared this little phrase before, but I want to repeat this, but who wants their child to be an ordinary student on a bumper sticker at whatever elementary school? I mean, you want it to say, honor roll for 50 straight days at the school. Who wants to be the ordinary person at church, the ordinary person at work, the ordinary person who, who we want our life to count? Darren, I want to be radical. We want to leave a mark. We want to have a legacy. We want to make a difference. We want to be radical disciples. We want to take our faith to people like those, uh, those cannibals on, on, on the islands outside of Sri Lanka where no one has ever shared the gospel. We want to have, Darren, we have to live up to our Facebook profile. Our kids always smile like that when we take a picture. They never cry. It doesn't take 50 pictures to get that perfect picture. Really, that's who I am. And yet I think there's a sense of growing restlessness within this restlessness. Some have grown tired of the constant calls to radical change through new and improved things, and they're less sure they want to jump on the next bandwagon or blaze the next trail. Most of us, everyday daily living is a problem because it's just not radical. 
it's easy to think what you might do in wartime if the Nazis knocked on your door and said, do you have any Jews staying in your house? It's easy to think if you were in the path of a hurricane that you're going to be that guy out there reporting the news, getting blown over. And, uh, yeah, we're here, and it's raining a lot, Bob. And, uh, well, well, duh, there's a hurricane guy. Didn't you know that? I mean, come on. It's so silly. It's so silly. Or if you spent a month in Australia, how you might spend your time. Or if you won the election and you were president, or you were the president of the company, or you won the lottery, or you wanted all these things. First and foremost, though, any renewed appreciation for ordinary begins with God because we live in a world that wants to be super extraordinary. Isn't it amazing that God said directly himself, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Be reminded of that. He said, let there be light, and it appeared. He said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and it did. And God is no less the ultimate source of reality when he is working within creation. God's purpose is that he is in directly calls us into existence in ordinary ways. In God's providence, God's ordinary working would surprise us with wonder. We have to remember that God works most in the most mundane, routine parts of life more than anything else. We do not have to call it a miracle to be astonished at God's handiwork. Even that bill that you forgot that God helped you pay two months ago was an ordinary act of God's grace. Or the breath you're taking right now, please keep breathing, that you're taking right now, is an ordinary act of God's grace. So can I ask you, are you afraid just to be obscure and ordinary? Are you afraid to be a life that no one knows about to the glory of God? Are you so hung up that you're, you've got to be that guy because that other guy, your best friend, is doing this, that, and the other, and you have to be that person who does this, that, and the other times two of what they're doing? Then maybe the sermon is for you. Because let's remind ourselves of the big idea today, guys. The big idea, of course, is the rifle shot, the, the, the very simple statement of where we're headed. The gospel does three things for us that we most need. It gives us a new heart, gives us a new record, and it gives us a new master. And that's nothing but ordinary. Super extraordinary. But God calls us to live out that super extraordinary in ordinary ways, as these lesser disciples will show us today. Let me be very clear. Being ordinary does not mean mediocre. The Mizzou football Tigers can tell you that after being thumped, thumped yesterday by the Purdue people. They're a pretty ordinary team. But I bet you all those guys could run circles and laps around us, even though they're on an ordinary team. Whether you're an athlete, an architect, a humanitarian, an artist, a stay-at-home mom, a retiree, you can vouch for the importance of faithfulness daily. How does it, do the athletes in the Olympics just show up and do those mind-bending things that they do? No, it takes daily, daily, daily. And there's the ESPN button on my phone I forgot to turn off, so there you go. So. <laughs> I guess we are ordinary after all, aren't we? So. Wow. The Chiefs game hasn't started, guys. Don't worry. It's, you got an hour. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to transform the world to be a faithful mom or a faithful grandma or dad or a sibling or a church member. All you have to do is be faithful to your God and let him use you how he used you. And let me tell you, daily life is quite an extraordinary adventure, isn't it? Ever been driving along, your day's going perfect, boom, 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 boom. Oh, that was a, that's a flat tire. Your day changes pretty quickly. We're going to look at three lesser-known disciples, guys, today. And I want you to see how through their ordinariness, God used them in super ordinary ways. Uh, these guys are, and I'm just going to list them. I don't even really have points. It's hard to make points with these guys. Three guys. 
the lesser-known disciples. James, the son of Alphaeus, or as other people call him, James the Lesser. Then there's the guy named Thaddeus. He also goes by Labinius and Judas. So there's an ordinary guy with three names. We'll get there. And then Simon the Zealot, Simon the Terrorist. That's nothing ordinary, Darren. But God used him in ordinary ways after an extraordinary life. God is still in the business, church, of calling ordinary, common people like yourself, like me, back to himself for the purposes of changing the gospel. He's looking for people like you and like me, not because we're worthy. We bring nothing to the table, but all by sovereign grace drawing us to himself. Will you join me in standing, if you're able, this morning in James, or excuse me, James, uh, Mark chapter 3, as we read about James and others. Mark chapter 3, and as we've done the last several weeks, we'll read verses, starting verse 13, Mark three thirteen down to verse 18. And it says, Mark three thirteen. this is the ESV, the same as the Pew Bible, says this. And he, Jesus, went up the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And we enter the names in verse 16 here. He, that's Jesus, appointed, he summoned, that is, the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangres, that is, sons of thunder. And here's the list. You ready? Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. And when his family, that's Jesus' family, heard it, they went out to seize him, or to restrain him. For they were saying, he, again, that's Jesus, is out of his mind. Are you okay being ordinary for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it's not an ordinary gospel? That's what we'll look at today. We join me in prayer as we go before our Lord. Father, thank you so much for the study within a study. Lord, we, as you know, started back in Mark 1 on January, the first Sunday in January, and we've taken a series to break up these 12 disciples to look at their lives, imperfect as they are, willing as they were, untrained as they were, but supernaturally gifted by your grace and spirit as they became to be. Father, these 12 changed the world, turned the world upside down, it says in Acts, so much that people didn't recognize their own cities they grew up in because the gospel, the supernatural, life-changing gospel came in. But yet, Father, you used ordinary, obscure people to do it. Father, that apple doesn't fall too far from the tree today because, Father, we walk in their shoes, not to venerate them as some do, but, Father, to walk to know that the same God who called them you, Lord, is the same God who calls us today. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. May your words be spoken today, not mine or anyone else's. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, this is interesting. Uh, you know, as a pastor, you have to make these decisions sometimes about how to preach through certain passages. And uh, when you get down to it, uh, th- these guys are really, really obscure. I, I only found, I think, a couple of pastors who actually preached a sermon for James, for uh, Thaddeus, and for Simon. And you can do it, but I didn't want to stretch where I'd, I'm not an expert in these things. There's a lot of study about these guys. But I just want to break them up because the gospel has changed each and every one of them. But what I want you to know is these guys, minus one question, there's only one verse, and that's Thaddeus's verse, John 14, that these guys are ever noted as saying anything. 
Now, they talk. They're not mute. They're, they're, they're not silent. They're not on a, you know, a, a, a 20-year fast from speaking as some monks do. But they are, they are real people. But we don't know much about them. So what I want you to get out of this is we're just going to break down who they are, apply their lives, and wrap it all up at the end. That's where we're headed. So first, James, the son of Alpheus. Now, uh, it reminds me, and this is just my goofy mind, that movie, that show ALF. If you remember ALF the Alien from the 80s, that's immediately what I think of. That's not, that's not biblical, Darren, so stop it. But do you remember those who's who lists? Do you remember those? When you were in high school or college and they had the who's who or this person is going to be famous here, well, James would never have been in any of these lists. In fact, he never would make a who's who. He would never be a guest talk show host, or he would never write a preface for a book or pray at a convention. He would never be interviewed as, uh, by the Gospel Coalition, which if you're looking for good resources, go there. So Jameson of Alpheus, who is that? Does, does the Bible say anything about him? Nada. It says nothing about him. Literally. There's nothing, just his name. But he had a famous name. You look there uh, in, in the list we just read. Of course, we have James, the son of Zebedee. You remember Fiery James from a few weeks ago? You have him. Uh, James was a ramrod of a guy, a son of thunder, the Bible calls him. Then there was James, the brother of our Lord. And then there's James, the son of Alpheus. He never wrote anything, as far as we know. He never said anything in the scriptures, as far as we know. He never asked for anything. He never put his foot in his mouth. There's nothing recorded about him, literally, in the Bible. But if you go, you don't need to turn there, but in Mark 15, 40, uh, it says that James is called James the Little. Literally, James the Mikros, if you want to use the Greek word. It means little James. You remember Robin Hood? You know, you had little John. Uh, we don't know if this is, you know, we don't know if big James is James, the son of thunder there in verse 15 or 16. And this is little James. But literally, Mikros means small stature. It could mean he was little could mean he was young in age, could mean that he was, uh, he was least influential, but we really don't know. But he's called James the Lesser. And I can think he probably was all three of those things, and that's why he gave him that nickname, in a sense, Little James. You know, it's very interesting. He was just a little young fella, perhaps, who wasn't particularly powerful, but he was faithful. And you know, when we get to things like that, we see people, ministries, churches, where we think, oh, wow. What can God do with that person? Friends, and I don't want to stretch this too far, but I think one of the devil's greatest three areas is subtle deceit. And this will be up on the screen for you. For us as Christians, especially among us pastors, as we lead congregations, is that the seeming need to be pragmatic, political, and popular to serve our Lord. Now, is there anything wrong about being practical in the church? No, there's not. I mean, very practically, you need to turn on the lights in the church. That's a practical means, amen? If it's summertime, practical means that you're going to turn on the air conditioner. I, look, we can have church without it. You did, Luke. We're going to be licensing you, brother. You were the last one to preach the lights out literally at this church uh, almost three months ago. So we can do it. But when churches, when people go beyond just being the small in stature, powerful in the Lord, we get to the pragmatic where we allow things to run like shows. And when churches become more like shows than more in the power of God, just being faithful, we lose the power of the gospel. Or can I also say being political? Look, I, I hope you know that one thing we won't say from this pulpit, we're not going to endorse candidates. We're not going to do that, but we will teach the scriptures. 
and we need to have less eye rolling. We need to have more foot washing. We need to have less political diatribe. We need to have more neighbor serving and less angriness and more patience and compassion. And I have a feeling that James, although we don't know much about him, was faithful to that end. And friends, we need to give up the idea of being popular. Look, people will often say, as we said before, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if only so-and-so would become a Christian, then maybe everyone else would be a Christian. Well, that's good. But do you know that God uses ordinary people to save, not save, God does the same, but to use them to point to the cross who does save. You know, I, Darren, I'm praying for LeBron James. You know, ESPN just ranked him number one for the seventh straight year. He's the best basketball player ever. Well, Jordan was, but we'll leave that for another day. But I'm praying that he would come to know Jesus. You keep praying for him to come to know Jesus. You know, North Korea just launched a missile over Japan for the second time in a number of weeks. You pray for Kim Jong-un, if I'm saying that correctly, to come to know Jesus Christ. Why? So that he can use his influence to save people? No, because the gospel reaches to the richest, the most powerful, to the most poor and destitute in Calcutta, India. It's great to pray. But someone might say, can you imagine if these people got saved? Well, friends, we don't need popularity Look, your neighbor who is skunk drunk half the time comes home banging on the doors like this. If he comes to Christ, let me tell you, he's got a lot of bar buddies that he can share the gospel with that may have more impact than some major superstar. Because God does not depend on us. James, the son of Alphaeus, will sit on a throne reigning over one of the tribes of Israel. But everything, we don't know anything about him, but we know he was small in stature and faithful to the Lord. That's what we know. And let me remind you, as you'll see up on the screen, that each of us has been given a life, gifts of service, a calling, and a brief window in time to be found faithful to God in our generation. Just yesterday, a very, uh, I, I cannot say his name to do it justice, a 34-year-old man who was converted Muslim. Some of you read this on the Gospel Coalition website, not promoting that website so much, but that's the second name dropped today. But he was a young man who was converted uh, from, uh, from Islam after two-thirds of his life. And he, his family shunned him. His parents came to Christ. He died of cancer. And uh, in his, one of his last vlogs, one of his last video blogs that he gave, he said, you know, live every moment for the glory of God. 34 years old. God blessing his ministry to his former Islamic friends. But friends, each of you have a window of time God has given you. You don't know what that is. But we need people to be like James, to be at the right place at the right time, to pull their load at the most basic level, to always be there, to open, to close things, to run the sound system, to play the piano, to not have the luxury to walk in late. Without these people like James who are reliable and faithful, always there in the church to move forward, then we have the willingness of people to do the work of God in the most basic, obscure, ordinary ways. And these people will stand out today because we live in a culture that doesn't make a commitment. I mean, think about this. Have you ever had a party before and you get a list of people and you're, and you're planning for, say, 30 people? And at the last minute, you've never done this, I'm sure, you get a phone call. Pastor, I can't come to your, your, your party today. I got invited to go out with somebody else. Come on, guys. That's never happened to you before? You've never done that before? You know what? Because we live in a culture that doesn't want to be committed. We want to keep all our options open. Well, maybe, maybe something else is going to happen. Or maybe that person will go. But if that person doesn't go, well, I'm not going to sign up for this. And we don't count on me, Pastor, for a long-term commitment because I want to bounce from church to church or whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't want to stay in one place and be faithful. I just want to go wherever the action's at. 
Friend, if that is your view of how God works, then you're missing the greatest work of God. The greatest work of God is found in the ordinary ways that ordinary people are used by an extraordinary God. We need to be anchored like James, who is faithful, small in stature as he was. All right, you got that one down, James, son of Alphaeus, and you're going to think of the 80s movie every time you see it, right? You know, I run marathons, and I don't, I don't like to use a lot of personal illustrations, but I think this was apropos. You know, it's, it's marathon season. People are ramping up for their October marathon. Some of you hate driving 26 miles, let alone running 26 miles. But I remember asking a national marathon. His name was Ryan Hall. Many of you may know that name. He's pictured here in this picture in the blue running the Boston Marathon. I remember talking to him in seminary when I was really into marathon running. And I said, Ryan, what is the greatest lesson that you can give? I mean, come on, man. You're running, you're running a 435, 445-mile times 26. Most of us can't even, can't even we, we can't stop eating after four minutes and 45 seconds. You could run a mile in that time times 26. How do you do this? How do you get great like you, Ryan? He said, I wasn't fast like Usain Bolt. I wasn't strong enough to throw the shot put. I wasn't big enough to throw the discus. I just showed up every day and determined to run longer than anyone else. I was faithful. Those words have stuck with me since 2007 when I first met him. Friends, we are not saved by our bootstraps. If you're a Christian here today, you are not saved by being faithful to the church. Look, church attendance won't save you. Nothing will save you. But if you are a Christian, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We have too many Christians who want to do the 100-yard dash and be done. We have too many Christians who want to, uh, you, basically, if you do, remember those old track workouts, some of you who ran track, you know, sprint the straightaways, jog the curves. Friends, we need Christians who have long obedience in the same direction, who buffet our bodies and push ourselves and are immovable like James. And we need to find our place in ministry, wherever that is in the church, and serve God until he calls us otherwise. That's faithful ministry. It's not always Facebook-worthy. It's not always praise-worthy from the world's standpoint. But praise God for James for his consistency, his faithfulness, and his reliability. Let's go on to number two. Number two. Thaddeus, Thaddeus. Has anyone ever known a Thaddeus before, just out of curiosity? Anybody? One, two people? Yeah, I've known this name. It's actually really, it's an interesting name. But if you look back there at verse, I told you there's not a lot of things here, but we'll actually move a little bit. If you want to go to John 14, guys, John 14, John chapter 14 with us, and we're going to look at Thaddeus. And John 14 and verse 22. And I want you to see this as we go forward. Because the gospel has given these guys a new heart, a new record, and a new master, but they have to learn along the way. John 14, and hold that spot. You see, Thaddeus, you also see he's listed in other places. Thaddeus is as uh, Labaius, uh, whose surname is Thaddeus. He's listed as Judas. So who is he? Is he the, uh, uh, the, the, the identity theft of the first century? Does he steal names and take it with him? No. He is called, first off, in other places, Judas. Well, wait, is this Judas? Is this, is this the Judas? No, that's next week. Show up for that, the last one. But Judas was a common name. It's very much like John or Bob would be in generations past. Judas means Jehovah leads, and many people in that time were named their son Judas. So if you look at John chapter 14 here, and if you go down to verse um, uh, 22, it says Judas, and it says in parentheses in my Bible, not Iscariot. So this is Thaddeus, same guy. And so this is his, probably his given name is Judas. That's what we know. 
And then he probably received the names Labias and Thaddeus as people added nicknames. The nickname Thaddeus is actually an interesting word. It literally means breast child and reflects that Thaddeus was the baby of his family. It was a common name, common to have large families, and Thaddeus was the baby. He was Thaddeus. He was the baby. And, you, you know, it's kind of like when you see a mom and she says, hey, let me introduce you to my baby. And, so, and you're thinking, oh, man, this kid's going to be, I'm just going to rub his head, noogie, 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 and everything else. And he walks around the corner, and he's a 6'5 mountain of a man and says, I want you to meet my baby. And he's a big boy, but he's the baby. So the baby of the family, that last one, it's the breast child, literally. But Thaddeus is wrapped in obscurity. We don't know his height, his weight. His, we don't know those things. But he did ask one very important question. I want you to see this in John 14. Go back one verse to John 14, 21. Jesus says this. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and it is he who loves me and will be loved by my Father, and I will love and manifest myself to him. This is, as an aside, Jesus is talking at the final discourse. Basically, Jesus says, look, you can claim to love God and love Christ, but if you don't obey, your claim is a lie. The point being, here's the sum of it, God is only going to give you a loving heart. And only God can do that. And then look what Thaddeus, Labaius, Judas, whatever name you want to call him, says. His one time in Scripture. He says this. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's a big question. Nathaniel preached a couple weeks ago about how Thomas asked a similar question and was not rebuked for it. Jesus didn't put him down for it. The same thing can be said here. Judas, Thaddeus, Labaius, whatever you want to call him, says, how can you possibly fulfill this hope, Jesus? I mean, you, you can't set up your kingdom on earth. How can you possibly demonstrate who you are and the world not see it? I mean, you're God. You're Lord. I just called you Lord. How could you do this and not, why won't everyone see it? That's not fair. I mean, if it's time for the kingdom, let it get on. And you might give us a little courage because we don't want to be out here by ourselves. Let it go, Lord. The whole world needs to know. Why don't you just show us? Just show us, Lord. Do it. Notice what Jesus tells him in verse 23. He comes back and says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will make him come to him and make our home with him. Do you see how Jesus answers him here? He basically tells him the same thing he told him in verse 21. He says, look, it's not up to you to decide how I display myself. Judas, Labias, Thaddeus, it's up to God, me, to decide. But I want you to be faithful. I want you to be ordinary. I want you to do everything I've told you to do. Go live it out. Go share it. Go proclaim it. And that is how God will use you. And it's interesting here. It's interesting because these disciples would lose their lives. And what a reminder to us, guys, that when God sends us into the storms, it's never to sink us, but it's to shape us. It's never to drown us out, but it is to disciple us, as you'll see on the screen. God could come down at any point and save us all, couldn't he? He could come down and just boom. I mean, God... Why didn't you just get off the cross? You remember that's what they told Jesus on the cross? You know, if he's the son of God, why doesn't he save himself? If he's the son of God, why doesn't he send all these people? He, he healed others. Why can't he heal himself? Physician, heal thyself. 
But friends, as these disciples, especially Thaddeus Saul, God leads you into the storm, not because he's abandoned you by anything else, but because of his grace. Sometimes you need the storm to see his glory. And the reason Jesus didn't just set up shop and end it all right there is because he was going to use these ordinary folks to share the gospel that Thaddeus had already come to see. It reminds me of Charles Gordon, a missionary who died on the way to be a missionary. And he said this. This is a picture of him you'll see. But he said this. He said, follow Christ anywhere so long as it is forward. Here's his picture. Follow Christ anywhere so long as it is forward. But Jesus, you're going to set up your kingdom, right? And we're going to be with there to party with you. We're going to get good influence from you. We're going to get our, our, our stake of your claim. Why don't you just show yourself and get it done and let's get on to heaven? I mean, come on, Jesus, what you waiting for? Get down to it. But this was Thaddeus. By the way, the early church tells us about Thaddeus. And again, let me emphasize, this is tradition. We, this has been passed on. But the, the, the tradition is, is that he was tremendously gifted with the power of God to heal the sick. And he would go from place to place to place to place. And he went, supposedly according to tradition, to a place in Syria by the name, a king of Syria by the name of Abgar. And he healed him. And, and one of Abgar's nephews got so mad because Abgar became a Christian. Thaddeus had healed him, the tradition says, and he became a Christian. And the legend says that the, the country was in such chaos because the gospel was like a wildfire. People were getting saved left and right. Praise God for that. So the nephew of Abgar kills Thaddeus in Syria. But the country experiences one of the greatest revivals it's ever seen as a result of an ordinary man being faithful even unto death. In fact, if you look at the old books, Thaddeus, they used to have a symbol like an icon, an emoji, if you want to use the modern term, for each disciple. And Thaddeus has a big club, you know, like a big baseball bat type thing by him because they beat him to death with a club when he died, faithful to the Lord. Wow. Ordinary man who asked a very extraordinary question. Jesus, why don't you just end it all right here? But God said, I'm not done with you. You're going to do greater things. And so he did. Let's move on to the last one, guys. You've seen James the Lesser, James, son of Alphaeus. You've seen Thaddeus, Labaius, Judas, not Iscariot. You got all that down. And now you got Simon the Zealot. Go back to Mark chapter 3, if you will, please. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. I want to ask you a question on participation points here. Uh, You didn't know there's a quiz afterwards, but there is. Mark chapter 3. And look at verse 18. I want you to to raise your hand if your Bible has this. I I just want to take this as an aside to teach good Bible study. I'm not an expert. I learned this as well. But Mark chapter 3 and verse 18, does your Bible have the phrase Simon the Cananean? Does anyone have that? Simon the Cananean? Quite a few. How many have Simon the Zealot? Simon, that's, it's about half. Anyone else have anything else? Simon? Simon the Canaanite. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it, the translations take it differently. We don't know much about this guy. His, his name does tell us a lot, but I want you to just really fast know this, that if you have that word Canaanite or Canaanian, it's actually just a transliteration. They just took word for word from the Greek and, and made that, and the assumption is, is that it referred geographically to Canaan, but 
Uh, in Luke, he's called Simon the Zealot, and this is another word meaning the same thing. He's a man full of zeal. So uh, to be very clear here, the best name we have for him is Simon the Zealot. What's a zealot? You ever walk around and say, hey, man, you're, you're just a zealot. What does that mean? It's a great question. Guys, it literally means he was a terrorist. Wow. What do you mean? Well, let me give you some history. I don't want to bore you with these facts, but at the same time, you need to know it. It may mean, I say may because we don't know for sure, but it may mean that he was actually identified with a party of Jews known as the Zealots. And when he became a disciple, they just didn't change his name. He was, you know, like Peter was, it was Simon, and he became Peter, and the Sons of Thunder were given that nickname by Jesus. But he must have continued to have the same zeal. I mean, this guy was zealous. He was ready to go, go mess up those Romans with whatever things possible. And it seems out of all this came sort of a politically oriented terrorist approach later known as Zealots. The Zealots, they, they had another leader named Judas. I told you that's a common name, Judas. And it was a very common name. And this Judas of Galilee of the Zealots began in all ways to do terrorist guerrilla warfare against the Romans. Sound familiar about acts against other nations today? And in fact, if you read the history, as you read the New Testament, there's little interludes going on all over the place led by the zealots. They were like Romans. It's like whack-a-mole, you know, at, uh, at, at Chuck E. Cheese. You know, you hit one, one area and it pops up in another. And they would murder here, murder there, plunder, burn, anything they could do because they, they hated Roman occupation, so they wanted to take out Roman occupation. But now Simon comes to know Jesus. And he must have been a man with tremendous passion and zeal. He was probably a fireball, and we just don't even know it. But isn't it interesting that he is no, if you look at verse 18 and 19, Judas here, uh, or I'm sorry, Simon is listed next to Judas. It is very probable, historians believe, theologians believe, that Judas and Simon were cut from the same cloth. They both were probably at some point involved with the zealots, the terrorists as they were. They probably were two by two when Jesus sent them out in Matthew 10. And it may be that, uh, that at some level they were thinking, oh, man, this guy Jesus, he's got all the tricks and all the trades. He's got the power. He can overthrow Rome. He can do this. And Simon could have been the betrayer, and you would have named your children Judas and not Simon Peter or Peter. Did you ever think about that? But God raised up Judas, and we'll get there next week. Simon believed and was transformed, but Jesus did not, and no one names anything after Judas these days. It's like calling someone a Jezebel. It's not a good phrase. What does this mean to us? And Megan's going to put this up. I think the application of this is so straightforward. King Jesus fears no terrorist. We just had bombing in London on Friday, I believe it was, if you saw the news the last couple days, another underground bombing. I've been in, those, uh, been in London several times, and uh, you go through the, the, the subway, as we call it. But, friends, King Jesus fears no terrorist at all. There's no match. If God can change a terrorist of the first century, yes, without GPS, yes, without improvised devices, yes, without all those things, but still with a heart bent to take care of life that is not theirs to take, God can change anyone you may face in your life, including the worst terrorist the world has ever known, whomever that is. Unless we forget that outside of Christ, we are no better than Simon the Zealot ourselves. Unless we forget that unless divine grace opens our eyes to believe the gospel, we don't have a new heart. We won't have a new record. We won't have a new master. But God changed Paul. Wasn't Paul doing the same thing? He was 
killing Christians. And God called him and said, you are mine. And he became a Christian. God called Simon the zealot, and he became a Christian. We have no hope but Christ for breaking down the walls between us. That goes for Charlottesville. That goes against, and let me say this once again from the pulpit, we condemn any race that claims to be the only race. There is one group of people, and that is the people that God made in his image, and they are red, yellow, black, and white, all precious in his sight. If God can change the most hardened terrorist or one of the most hardened terrorists of his day in Paul and in Simon, who's to say that the national leader of the KKK, which is not Christian, will never be named with the name of Christian biblically, cannot save that person? Or any other group that may claim anything else of any other race, of any other stripe or persuasion, whatever it is. Even the National Twinkie Eaters Association, who hate all people who don't eat Twinkies, may God pray for their soul. I've been reading Saul's conversion over and over and over again. And he murdered Christians. He, he, he beat Christians. He handed Christians over to be eaten by lions. And, he felt, and we feel powerless about North Korea and Iraq and, and Afghanistan, all these areas, London even, even our own soil. But I'm praying that God would raise up a Paul or a Simon out of the leadership of these groups for his glory. If God can do it in the first century, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, he has not changed. He is still God on his throne in charge. Simon became Christ's man. And think how wonderful it must have been for him to get along with Matthew. Remember him from last week? Matthew, the tax collector? So here's a guy collecting taxes for Rome and skimming off the top all the money he wants. And now he's paired up with a guy who's ready to blow up the guys who are doing that very thing. You tell me the gospel doesn't transform. I wonder if you ever just had a little anxiety about Matthew, if he's going to steal your money, how much more was say, Hey, Simon, you just stay over there, buddy. I'm going to stay right over here. The Lord uses all kinds of unqualified, ordinary people. He can use you. He can use me. Let me close with this illustration today. There was a concert violinist who wanted to demonstrate a very important point. He felt there are several of these stories floating, but I think this is very significant. So he hired a great hall in a great city and announced that he would play a concert on a $20,000 violin, very similar to this one, which is 250 years old, worth $4 million. I, does anyone play the violin in here? Anybody? A few people? Uh, Aaron, I, I forgot you did, brother. Uh, we'll have to get you to play this and see how it goes. But this man had a whole hall packed full of violin lovers, and he came out and he played extravagantly, and they just applauded gloriously, and he bowed and took their applause, and then he threw the violin to the ground and he just stomped it. And you could hear the, oh, in the crowd. And the people were horrified. Then he walked off the stage, and then his manager came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, to put you at ease, that was a $20 violin he bought at the secondhand store. And the people go, whew. And he said, now, I want you to know, he's going to come back and play that $20,000 violin. And you know what? They couldn't tell the difference. And he made this point. It isn't the instrument. It's the artist, isn't it? Folks, let's face this. Most of us are $20 violins at best, aren't we? (laughs) Let's be honest. But oh, what music the master can play when he makes us the way he wants us. Friends, don't think that you are any less off better than James or, or Thaddeus or Simon. But if you have been transformed by grace, friend, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. And you need to know that. Maybe your prayer today is, Lord, I don't, 
I don't know much about their histories, but Lord, would you use someone like me and my family? Lord, would you let me be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Lord, I am, but I'm scared when I'd run from their presence. Lord, would you embolden me with the gospel today to be those folks I need to be and share with those folks I need to share? Would you pray that, that whomever it is you think is too big and bad, scary wolf to be saved, that you pray for them by name? Well, that, that was on one of our church, church health survey questions, one of the, those who took it, that you pray by name for those who don't know Christ. Would you pray? Would you get someone in your mind that you pray about this week? God, they are the last person I would think would ever be interested in you. But, Lord, would you save them? Would you raise them? Would you let them to know you? God can save a terrorist. God can save James and Simon. God saved you. He can save anyone. Don't give up on our God. If you're here today, friend, you have a new heart. By God's grace, you have a new record, and you have a new master. Who are you serving today? Let's go before the Lord in prayer.